trouble with moving barriers, is what that says. Trouble with moving barriers. Before we begin, we're going to start, we're going to use it a few times throughout with a little object lesson. I'm going to turn this board slightly so that we can see a little better. Okay. So, we break the board like this. In the first part, we're just dealing with the left side of the board over here. I'm going to draw a little box with the arms, little angels on top of it, like that. Maybe you'll recognize what that might be. You know, that's a pretty kind of goofy little drawing. Anybody want to take a guess what that might be? The Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, that's the two little angels. They had two angels on top, sitting, pointing toward the middle. Okay, now I need a volunteer come up, and we can draw stick men at least. Okay, so Alright, I need you to draw at this side, instructions, okay? I need you to draw ten stick men in this area, ten stick men, okay? And they can be male or female, however you can draw them, you know, if you want to wear skirts on, whatever like that. But all ten have to be unique in some way. So don't make any of the ten the same. Alright, you have plenty of time, go ahead and do that. You also can watch and do that while we go up here and look at the Bible. Okay. So grab your Bibles if you would. Maybe get a little hooter holler in today as we go to Deuteronomy chapter 14. All right. Praise the Lord. We still got a long way to go in the book of Deuteronomy. We're getting close to kind of our first break as we do. We're going to be looking at some Christmas stuff coming up here shortly. Um, but we have made it as far as chapter 14. And we've pretty much done one chapter per sermon. We will not quite finish 14 today, which means we'll be back at the end of 14 again next week. Let me look at this again. I might just do the whole thing. Just throw it all in there. Yep, we're just going to do the whole thing in one shot. All right, here we go. Deuteronomy 14, beginning in verse 1. Here we go. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave your forehead for the sake of the dead. Now, to us, that sounds like a little kind of a weird command, doesn't it? Don't cut yourself and don't... Don't shave your foreheads for the sake of the dead. That's a little weird. But that was a cultic thing that they did then. When someone would die in the hopes that they would do well in the afterlife, they would actually shave and like their eyebrows or shave this area of their head or shave their head back, uh, make, make a big forehead. You can still see that in some uh, Occidental cults today. Where Occidental is the Middle Eastern part of the world. And um, he said, you don't, we don't do that, basically. And I, I read that and I thought, in our family, there are some things we talk about. Like when we did the inspirational moment today and we had a song and had a cuss word. And I said, in advance, children, just realize we don't say that. In our family, there have always been some things that I didn't even realize we were doing. We said, we don't do that. And this is the chapter where God says to the Israelites, to the Jewish people, we don't do that. Okay? And one of the things he says is we don't cut ourselves, nor do we shave our forehead for the sake of the dead. We're going to go on. Verse 2. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And every time you read the word holy in your Bible, I want you to understand the word holy means different. How are we doing? Like that guy in the middle with a really big head. You can put little skirts on someone, that'll make it, or at least one. It'll make it easy. Some women in there. Whatever. Okay, we're doing all right. Okay? So holy means completely different. And no, notice I told him to make ten completely different people. Right, so they have to be unique in the drawing. All right, he says God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Verse three: You shall not eat any detestable thing. And don't get confused by the word detestable; it just means yucky. 
It'd be the kind of thing you'd spit out of your mouth. Except that what we're going to find on the list is that maybe there'd be some, be some things on the list that wouldn't necessarily be considered yucky. All right? These are the animals which you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And any animal that divides the hoof and has the hoof split in two and chews the cud among the animals that you may eat. In other words, if, it, if its hoof is split, they got hoofs on the bottom of their feet, its hoof is split in two pieces or more, right? Then that is included. And if they chew the cud, then they chew their food and then they regurgitate it in their mouth or they chew it really good, put it down in one stomach, bring it back up, put it in another, like that. That's chewing the cud. That's the cows do. Chew grass, put it down in their stomach, and they spit it back up in their mouth and chew it again. By the time they're done, they've chewed it a lot, right? So if, if animals are like that, you can eat them. Otherwise, you're going to say no. Verse 7, nevertheless, you are not to eat of these among those which chew the cud or among those that divide the hoof in two, the camel, the rabbit, the rock badger, for, the, for though they chew the cud, they do not divide the hoof. They are unclean for you. In other words, they chew the cud, spit it, chew it, spit it, chew it, they do that, but they don't have a divided hoof. Okay? They have one, but not the other. Can't eat the pig, because it divides the hoof, but does not chew the cud, and it is unclean for you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, nor touch their carcasses. And notice, now, not only can they not eat the pig, but they also can't touch its dead body. Okay? So they're being told, basically, if they have two traits, they can eat them or have to do with them. And if they have one of the two traits, that doesn't qualify. They can't eat them, and they can't have to do with them when they're dead. They can't touch their dead bodies. Okay? That's where they're at. And you're going like, but this doesn't even apply to us today. Oh, yeah, it does. Wait, we'll get there. All right? Verse 9. These you may eat of all that are in water. Anything that has fins and scales you may eat. But anything that does not have fins and scales you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. You may eat any clean bird. But these are the ones which you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, and the red kite, the falcon, the kite in their kinds, and every raven in its kind, and the ostrich, the owl, the seagull, and the hawk in their kinds. The little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the pelican, the carrion vulture, the cormorant, the stork, the, the heron, in their kinds, the hoopy and the bat, and all the teeming life that which that's now talk about insects with wings are unclean to you. You shall not; they shall not be eaten. You may eat any clean bird. Now we're in verse twenty-one. You shall not eat anything which dies of itself. Okay, so now even if it's a clean animal, if it dies on its own, it falls down. What? You get ten. Okay. You shall not eat anything which dies of itself. It falls down on the road dead. Or gets hit by a carriage or something, you can't eat it. Doesn't matter if it was a clean animal to live or not. But listen to this. He says, you may give that animal that died of itself, you may give it to the alien who is in your town, so that he may eat it. Or you may sell it to a foreigner. You can do that. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Now, you can't have it, but you can sell it, or you can give it to an alien or a foreigner or sell it. And those are options. You can't eat it. You have to be different. It says, you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. So a kid is a baby goat, and there is a kind of cultural way, especially over there sometimes, and especially in certain circles, where they would cook the baby of the baby goat before they'd eat the meat of the baby goat. They'd cook it in its mother's milk and then eat it. Sounds totally gross to me, okay? But that was the thing they did. He said, you can't do that. You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow. Now, everything you grow, everything you put in the ground that comes up, you're going to tithe it. Verse 10, you're going to go over the offering plate. 
which comes out of the field every year. And you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, your firstborn of your herd and your flock, in order that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. In other words, so you're going to plant, you're going to grow crops, you're going to have flocks, etc. And out of that, the first 10% is always going to go back to when you go there, festivals to be used for worship and you can eat while you're there and all that kind of thing. It's all for the glory of God's people. Tithes, if you will. 24. And if the distance is so great that you're not able to bring the tithes, you can't bring that first sheep of ten and like, like that. Where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you when the Lord your God blesses you. Then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. So in other words, if you can't bring the one sheep out of ten, and you can't bring one wagon load of grain out of ten, or whatever. You can't bring one ton of wine, a big cask of wine, out of ten, because it's too much. Haul all the way up to where the Lord puts the name. Then sell it all, and put the money, and says, bind it in your hand. In other words, don't risk spending it, don't have a chance to use it for anything else, and take it right up there. And then it says, and then you may spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, or wine or strong drink, or whatever your heart desires, and there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And when you get up there, then you can use it for the glory of God in the presence of God's people. Verse 27. Also, you shall not neglect the Levite who is in your town, for he has no portion of inheritance among you. In other words, you got to take care of people that are the Levites who didn't get land. They can't grow crops. They didn't get land. And they can't. They don't have sheep. They can't raise sheep because they don't get land. God is their portion, but now you have to take care of them. Verse 28. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and shall deposit it in your town. Now, people have studied this passage of Scripture real heavily. you got the first one, which is the tithe for the, for the festival that would take place in God's presence. you got the tithe for the Levites, and then you got the tithe now every third year. So now we've got all the Israelite people giving 23 and a third percent of everything they get. 10% for one, 10% for another, and 10% every third year for another. We, we kind of make a big deal out of tithes in the first 10%. They were given 23 and a third percent of everything. And, and it's been studied into to find out, well, did, you know, could you do the Levite part out of the festival part? No, you can't do that. Could you do the festival part out of the every third year part? No, there's three different things. Okay. And then 29. And the Levite, because he has no portion of inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, the widow, so these are all the people that would be amongst them that are not Israelites, aliens, could be orphans, could be Israelites or not. Widows could be Israelites or not. That are in your town, they shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands which you do. Alright, so what we've got here are some rules about how we're going to handle food, meat, worship, and money. Alright? I submit to you that there are some, that there is a net, this points out to us a trouble that arises when we make distinctions or draw barriers. And I'll show you real quick in the text, and then I'm going to come back on it in a second. First of all, realize these are rules that apply to who? Who's being told these things? God's people, the Israelites, right? Settled in the new land, they're being told these rules. Do these rules apply to the strangers in their midst? No, not in the same way anyway, right? So if a stranger wants to be like the Israelites, and say, well, I want to be a part of your people. I want to be a part of the people of God. I want to be part of the people that God has chosen for himself, then they can come and follow the same rules. They can do that if they want. Alright? 
But notice, for example, where it says you can't eat an animal that falls down on the side of the road, even if it was a clean animal, an allowable animal. If it falls down on the side of the road and dies, you can't eat it. Okay? But you can let the alien eat it. You can let the stranger eat it. You can sell it or you can give it away. So if an animal falls down on the side of the road and it's my ox, right, and I'm allowed to eat this ox, then I, the ox is an edible food, and it dies, has a heart attack while it's pulling my carriage or whatever, right? Then I now can't have this ox. I can't eat this ox. I was thinking, you know, next couple of years, this ox is getting older. We're going to kill it off. We're going to eat it. We're going to have a big feast, whatever. Now all of a sudden it died. I can't eat it. But I can sell it or I can give it to an alien and they can eat it. And by the way, while I'm not eating that ox and I'm not getting as much money out of it because it fell down on the side of the road dead. By the way, when you sell something fell down on the side of the road dead, you're not going to eat it for food. It's not going to be worth as much as it would have been otherwise. I'm thinking to myself, it's not all that good to be an Israelite. Because there's an ox I could eat. It's my ox. I bought it. I fed it all these years. I kept it safe. I've used it all this time. And now it died. And I thought, now, it's not that good thing. to be. It's not good to be an Israelite. Because now I had this ox that God blessed me with. And I didn't kill it. I never did anything wrong. So I didn't make it die. And whatever. And now all of a sudden here's a clean animal. that died on the side of, And I'm an Israelite. And I can't eat the Israelite. Ox. It's my ox. And I can't eat it. And you might say, well, based on that then, the distinctions that God has made for us, it's not good. I don't, I don't really want to be. I don't want to have all these rules. I'd rather be over here. Right? <coughs> this is the people who can't eat the ox. Uh, um, man, I just had the last guy, the bottom, the bottom right. I'm just an old guy with beard. I don't know. Okay, yeah, I got you. I can see the beard. Yeah. This guy's leaving. He's got bags. No, that's a wheelchair. <laughs> what was that? That's a wheelchair. Oh, it's in a wheelchair. Oh, I see it now. It's okay. All right. What's this here? Uh, what's he got? Got something in his hand? Oh, okay. We got one fat arm and one thin arm. That's a cast. Oh, it's a cast. All right. All right. Got it. All right. Cool. Thank you. Okay. So I want to be this guy out here. And there's lots of guys out there, right? I want to be this guy here. Or this guy here. Man, his ox fell on the side of the road, and he picked it up, and they had one heck of a feast. You know what I'm saying? Or uh, even if, you know, this guy's got a cast, with lost his arm, whatever, but at least he gets to eat the ox when it falls on the side of the road. I want to be that guy. Right? It's tough when there are rules and laws. When my kids, when my girls were growing up, uh, Alicia had a tendency to say, I can't, about just about everything. She gets car, I can't get my seatbelt on, I can't do this, I can't clean up my room, I can't, I can't, I can't. And so we made a rule and said, well, in our household, we don't say can't. And to this day, that's pretty much a rule in our household, we don't say can't. Now, it may pass, and we don't make a big deal out of it, somebody says it, and what they really mean is they need help, like that. But generally speaking, we don't, if it's ours to do, we don't quit. If it's yours to do, you don't quit until either you're dead, or it's done. Why? Because it was yours to do. Right? Now you can ask people, you can call on somebody else, whatever. But somebody lives down the road. Alicia gets in the car. She's five years old. She's going to go to the store with whatever. She says, I can't put my seatbelt on. Alicia says, uh, around here, we don't say can't. You can do it. And I'll help you if you need it, but you're not allowed to say can't. That's not really true. That girl's not a Stevenson. She's not part of this house. She doesn't live with us. It's not really true. So then I can say, well, Alicia, well, that's not necessarily really true for everybody. Now Alicia's thinking, huh, 
I think I don't want to be a Stevenson. It's kind of hard being a Stevenson because you can't say you can't. I want to be the little girl that lives down the street. See, when there are lines and barriers drawn, then it starts to get hard for anybody that's included. When Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will we will follow the Lord. Joshua's kids who were there that day went, ooh, what daddy just said. They didn't just go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want whatever my dad wants. I love my dad. He's, I dote on him. He's, a, he's like my standard. I want to live to be like my dad. They didn't just do that. They said, man, what daddy just said. I don't know exactly what all that means, but it shakes me a little bit to think I got to be like that. And as for, when he says, as for me, and his house, he means me. No, I got to be like that. So sometimes when there's a barrier comes up, it gets to be tough for those who are inside the barrier. And I submit to you that that's exactly what God's saying. Now I ask you, why? Why is God saying that? Well, he says over and over again in the passage of Scripture, he says, because you are a holy people. Sorry. You are a holy people. And what did I say is the first thing you need to remember whenever you see the word holy in the Bible? What's the word? Different. You're different. God is different from all his creation. And he made so much variety and everything is incredible, don't get me wrong. But God, the God of heaven, is different from all of his creation. His chief trait, is he omnipresent? Yes, great. He's everywhere he wants to be. Is he omniscient? Does he know everything he wants to know? Does he know he has access to all knowledge? Yeah, that's awesome. But chiefly, he is different. And by the way, it's different to be omnipresent or to be omniscient, right? That's different. Chiefly, before everything else, he is different. He will always be different from me. No matter how much I become like him, he will always be different from me. God is different. And then so God says, well, each of you is unique. When he is in a wheelchair, when he has got a cast, right? When he is tall, when he is short, when he is heavy set, when he is thin, when he's got dark hair, when he's got light hair, when he is creative with art, when he is not. And everybody, it's just a full sheet of everybody's traits. It would be completely unique. There's no two people in all creation ever. Even though you have your mom and dad's DNA, we joke about this in my house because, like, in our house, it's kind of like you can see who follows certain DNA, right? And people, like, look at Arthur behind and mistake him for me fairly frequently because he got stuck with my DNA um, in, with regards to, like, his hair and body shape and stuff. But the bottom line is, it's real. DNA makes you more like your parents. But even the scientists know that when you get right down to it, if you're 100% accurate in DNA, that's only one person. And then from that, build something. And it happens to be a little like what something else is, but it's not the same. It'll never be the same. Every person is unique. So how is it right? You, you tell me. How, is it, how close together in traits do people have to be to be allowed to be a Steve or a Matt or a Tate? Right? How close together in traits do people have to be? Well, guess what? Because of marriage, not that close, right? Maybe 60, 80% match, 90% match. I don't know where the line is drawn. But, but now let's apply that same standard to Christians or to God's people. How much like God do you have to be to be allowed to be part of God's family? Now, we were created in God's image, but that doesn't mean we were created to look like him or even necessarily to have all the abilities and capabilities that he has. It actually means that we we're created to represent him. When it says he's created in his image. It's like an idol, like a Star Wars figurine represents Luke Skywalker. It's like that. You're created to represent God. So we re-represent him again in our generation. That's what we do. And we were created to do that. But how much like God do you have to be to be allowed to go to heaven when the time comes? How much like God do you have to be to be part of his family? 
How much can you get away with and still get in? You know what the answer to that question is, don't you? You can't get away with anything. Nothing. The Bible says one, the smallest sin you could possibly commit would be enough. And you will commit that sin. Without fail, every human being is born with the tendency towards sin. As soon as you're able, you will do it. Everyone does it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he gets to go in. If all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, who gets to go in? Who gets to live? Represent those these are the people who can't eat the ox that fell on the side of the road. These are the people that God calls holy. And who put this fence here? Nope. He said, You are his people that he chose. God put the fence there. Right? Now, it's a double fence because this is where you get a certain amount of correctness. Because the outside fence, the outside part of the fence, is actually owned by the people out here, isn't it? If you have a fence in your yard, let's say your neighbor puts up on the right on their property line, they puts up a private fence. He's got a big dog and so on. And if, if he's got to run around the yard, so he puts up a private fence. You can't see his dog or his daughter when she's sunbathing or him when he's out grilling in his underwear or whatever. He puts up a privacy fence, right? And every time he goes out and grills in his underwear, you're so grateful for that privacy fence. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't really want to see that. Every time you go out in your yard, take the garbage cans out, the dog's on the other side of the fence, he doesn't know you're there, so he's not barking up the storm, and you're like, man, I like that fence. That's a good fence. And that's the way it gets to be. Here's the problem with barriers. They essentially feel like they're owned by the people of both sides. Now, the people on the outside over here, people that are over here who can eat that ox, the fact, so, you know, the Israelites walk the rocks along the road, had the massive hunchback falls down, worth 200 gold, walking, but now it's only worth 50 because it falls, it falls down, Plus, it's laying on the side of the road. And by the way, to move a 1,500-pound oxen off the side of the road is almost impossible. I mean, you got to move it with big animals and winches or bunches of men. And those things, we don't realize they weigh what cars weigh. They weigh like a car does, walking down the road. And so, you come walking there, here comes me walking down the road. Like, yes, you got that ox on the side of the road that fell. You're an Israelite, aren't you? Oh, yes, yes, I am. Oh, well, I'll buy that ox off you for uh, 20 gold, and I'll, I'll make sure it gets off the side of the road. I'll take care of everything. So this day, I'm going, yay me! I got me and Ox and fall on the side of the road, 20 gold. Me and my friends are going to party for a month on the meat from that bad boy. Plus, I'm going to put some back in salt and have it for next spring. And it's, I am now wealthy because the Israelites are too stupid to eat the ox and falls on the side of the road. And now, he's going, I like this. I like this. Good fence. You just keep right on being Israelite. I'm just going to keep right on paying 20 bucks, 20 gold for 1,500 pounds of meat. Sounds good. I'll do that all day long. And by the way, this is the same thing that's happening in the church. If this was the church over here, and this is God's presence, people in the world are going, well, they got rules that I don't want to hear nothing about. I don't want to do what they do. I don't want to make sure I get a good enough, a good night's sleep on Saturday night or to Sunday so I can work with God on Sunday morning. I don't want to sit quietly and listen to some guy talk about the Bible. Or I don't want to sing praise songs when I don't feel like it. I don't want to give 10% of my money. On top plus some more as an offering. I don't want to do that. I don't want to come out on my day off and serve God's church building or work in a festival or go try to show people the love of Christ. I see they're doing all that. That's a lot of work. It's too much work to be a people of God. I'm kind of glad I live out here on this side of the fence. See? The problem with barriers is kind of threefold. First of all, someone owns the property on which the barrier is built. In other words, Right here? That land is owned by somebody. 
But it's contested, isn't it? It's owned by the person who put up the fence, which we said was God. At, at, we began Deuteronomy 14. That's God who put up that fence. But these people out here feel kind of like it's their property. They're getting the advantage of it and so on. But you know what they're missing? They can't go over here even if they want to. They can't become an Israelite. They can't be with God. They can't walk with God. They can't talk with God. They're excluded from being God's people. No matter what they look like, if they look just the same as God's people or not, no, or pretty much like God's people, or not, they can't go past the fence. So, in the case before Deuteronomy 14, the case of God's people, the fence is owned by God. He erected the fence. He did it to collect his people. And it's both inclusive, including God's people, and exclusive, excluding those who are not God's people. The fence is, the property that the fence is on is owned by the person who built the fence. And to this moment in time, right here, in Deuteronomy 14, that fence and that property is owned by God. He has roped in the Israelites and made them his people. The second problem is, if you go to move that fence, you're going to have an issue, aren't you? You got this guy right here. What if God said, because we, we do realize that God owns both sides technically, right? He owns it all. What if he said he wanted to move the fence back here and include this guy now? The people that are inside are going to go, now, but wait a minute, he doesn't have Israelite blood. He's not been worshiping at the Ark of the Covenant, whatever. I don't want to deal with him. He's a Gentile. And he's going to go, well, now, now i got to follow the rules? What? It's like the mouse who said, who moved the cheese? Suddenly you go where the cheese used to be and it's not there anymore. The fact is that trained mice who know right where the cheese is get lost when someone moves the cheese. So God, God doesn't want to keep moving that fence around, so he laid it out in his law what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be a people of God. He said, you will be different. And this is how you will be different. And that's part of what's in here. Notice that those on the other side of the fence can really only see the fence and the straddlers of the fence. If there were such a thing. So you got this guy who's sitting on the fence here. He was born an Israelite, but he's living like the world. Before you say that can't possibly be true, Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, here's the smartest thing you could ever do. Live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. That way you get the greatest blessings of both. Later he said, Oh, that was the stupidest thing I ever thought. He said, I tried it, and it about ripped me in two. He said, I'll never try that again. He said, here's what you really need to do. Jump fully in the kingdom of God and live there and let God sort out all the rest of it. Put your feet both firmly in the kingdom of God and let God sort out all the rest of it. Why? Because partly, that ox that falls on the road, there's good reasons why not to eat the ox that falls on the road. But the chiefest of all good reasons is the people to whom you belong. Is where you're going, what your destination is like. You might go, you know, I lost 380 gold pieces of value when my ox fell on the road, and that kind of makes it sucky to be an Israelite. But when you get to heaven, the food there is going to make you forget what it was like to eat ox meat, even when you cooked it the best you possibly could. The wealth and riches of heaven are going to make you forget what that 380 gold piece loss felt like that one day. So you can have everything then. Truly have everything. You can't have everything here. It's not even possible. But you can literally have everything then. And if you're a people that has everything then, God is saying it should affect who you are now. There are some rules. There are some guidelines. 
but it's not exactly what you think. It's not difficult, burdensome, troublesome, because actually, wait for it, fence is alive. But notice that there are still people in the picture that are far from God. They think the fence is there. There are people in the picture that are close to God. They think the fence is there. Jesus came to prove the fence is alive. God loves you. God loves me. He wants to draw all people unto himself. The sacrifice of Jesus was as real as if it had already happened thousands of years before it ever happened. What went on near the Ark of the Covenant? So we've got these guys, this is Eli, over here, now right by the Ark of the Covenant. They're like priests and servants in the temple, right? And what do they do? They put on sacrifices. Now we know that no sacrifice has ever been suitable to completely wash away the sins of men. But why are they doing it? They're doing it as an act of worship and understanding because it's what God told them to do. Now if they really understand what God is doing, and they understand what God ordered them to do, then they understand that it is a picture of a coming sacrifice that will once and for all be perfect, right? Easy enough for us to see that because we're on this side of the cross. We're on this side of that perfect sacrifice. Because of that truth, because of this sacrifice of what's going on here in God's presence, was pointing for all of these people that there would ultimately be a sacrifice that would be sufficient to pay for the sins of all people. Because of that, the fence is alive, and people can go, well, whether this guy lets the one eternal sacrifice stand for him or not is really what determines whether he's in or not. And that would be true for this guy and this guy as well. Wherever you're at, the question is whether or not you will accept the one true, permanent, eternal sacrifice of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, unfortunately... Because of some of the choices that the Israelites had made, they missed out on the opportunity to, to understand what I'm describing to you. I'm going to read how uh, Luke wrote it in the book of Acts. If you're following along in your Bible, flip with me to Acts chapter 28. Now, he's actually quoting Isaiah, but I, I, I chose this passage to read because now this is after the sacrifice of Jesus after the coming of the Holy Spirit, after they have seen it, most of them with their own eyes, or they've talked to people who have seen it. Okay, So it's a fact. They know that Jesus was sacrificed. It's a fact. They know that he lived after he died. And this is what it says. I'm going to start in verse 24 of chapter 28. Actually, I'll go 23. It says, And when they had set a day for him, they came to him at his lot, so coming to ask him questions. Okay, he came to him at his lodging, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from the morning until evening. I submit to you, you know, it doesn't say it right there, that what he's actually trying to persuade them about is that the fence is a lie. Okay, now I'll, I'll demonstrate how I know that in a minute. 24. And some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. So that all these people are coming, they're hearing about Jesus, his eternal sacrifice, salvation, how it's now available, God having one people, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, reigned over by God, and some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. And this is what he said. 
the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I should heal them. Verse 28, let it be known to you, therefore, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will also listen. When he had spoken these words, he was part of having a great dispute among themselves. And, go, and the story goes on. So in other words, they came to him. Now we're advanced forward in time. And Paul was over here. There's Paul. That is E for Paul. And he's explaining to them what they now know. That the fence is a lie. Now some of them believe. This guy up here. And this guy over here. And all these, this girl, and this guy that was by the Ark of the Covenant. Not this guy. Um, that guy in the wheelchair believed. And this guy didn't. And then there were some other people that Paul called Gentiles. Oh, wait, so, so this guy believes, and that guy believes, and this person over here believes, but this one didn't. And there's some stranger down here who just wanders in just at that right moment. He hears the story. And then there's a stranger here. I'm going to make her a girl because I have enough girls in the picture. Um, what's the top of the girl look like? Let's see. Let's do that. And she believes. She's in. And of course, Paul believes. But this guy here doesn't believe. And then it goes back around here. We're going to see the Ark of the Covenant is in. And it goes like that. The fence is a lie. But the line between God's kingdom and not is not a lie. It's real. But it's not founded or based on geography or rules or strictures. It's based on one thing and one thing alone. It's based on believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you have faith in God and the way that God provided, which is Jesus Christ, then that opens up a channel of grace whereby God can name you as his people. And so then this place inside there is the kingdom of God. But notice, when you move a barrier, you have issues because someone owns the property on which the barrier is built. Well, who, who owns the property on which the barrier is built? God does. People outside the barrier better to be outside. Don't want those rules. Don't want to have to live right. Don't want to have to read the Bible or pray or do any of those things. Better to be outside. And then, of course, we get the Great Commission, which says that the task of everybody on the inside is to go to everybody on the outside and explain to them that the fence is a lie. The question is this. Is God an inclusive God? Does God want literally everybody inside the fence? Yes. But based on this passage of scripture and so many others like it, is God a holy God? Yes, he is. And does God expect the people inside to be holy because they are inside? Yes, he does. Hold on a minute, because the fence is a lie. 
Does God expect the people who are outside to be holy? Yes, he does. The fence is a lot. They think they own the fence. They think they own the property on which the fence sets. They think they are choosing not to be a follower of God. They think that they are choosing to have free will. They're choosing to stand away from God. But the truth is, this territory out here is owned by somebody or uh, you could say is occupied, might be a better way of saying it, by somebody who made that mistake in the first place, which is the devil. And if you're outside the fence, outside the barrier, if you're not part of the people of God, would be a better way to say it, then you are slave to the one who owns the area outside. And that fence, the fence around his kingdom, is not alive. And he owns the property on which it sits. And given the opportunity, he will lock you in. He will trap you in. That's why it says he stalks around like a lion, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. By the way, a lion, a lion never roars when devouring. Right? He just threatens and makes you think that you're close to being devoured. Lions typically stalk and sneak and jump on their prey. He's looking for you to be on the outside edge, away, as far to the edge as possible. Except if the edge is not a circle. It's not like a yard that's a square that's got a fence around it. It is defined as those people who are in the kingdom of God. The distinction is a man, not a barrier. A couple of times in the history of our church, we wanted to do something. We decided as a church that something was the right thing to do. And we elected someone to do it. So someone said, yeah, I think it's the right thing to do. I'll do it. And we chose that person to do it. Knowing that we were choosing somebody's self-will, we were choosing somebody's ability to make decisions, we were choosing their creativity, we were choosing their strength, we were choosing by their faithfulness, right? In the early church, when the disciples were having trouble taking care of the widows, they said, well, we shouldn't be doing this. We should be praying, seeking God, teaching people like that. Let's raise up some men. And they called up deacons. And they chose them by the fact that they were following God, doing what God would have them to do. They were in the kingdom of God. Clearly, they were filled with the Spirit by everyone's assertion and so on. The fence is a lie. The distinction is a man, not a believer. He is the gate. He is the shepherd. He is the door. He is the bread of life. And unless you take him wholly and completely as your Lord and Savior, you are outside the kingdom. There is nobody inside the kingdom who's partly inside the kingdom. There's not a guy sitting there at the edge going, oh yeah, I'm in, but one toe is sitting out. There's no such thing. Right? Or, or there's a guy who's out here saying, yeah, I'm not saved, but he's got one foot in. One really big foot, the front half of his foot sticks into the kingdom of God. You're in or you're out. You believe or you don't. Do you believe? If you believe, then you realize our God is a holy God and he's taking us to a holy place. He's holy, first of all, different, and he's taking us to a different place. We talk and we say things like, the food there will taste so much better than the food here. Well, what the heck does that even mean? What does it mean, the food there? When your body is spiritualized and resurrected and you have a perfect brand new body of the perfect age, perfect strength, perfect appearance, perfect everything, and you can think about being in one place and appear there, and you have a body like Jesus had, what does it mean to say, well, the food will taste so good? It's outside fully our knowledge. But here's what is not outside our knowledge. You're in or you're out. You've got to stop playing games with it. You're in or you're out. When God says, 
when we're in, this is what we do. We shouldn't go, oh, well, you know, man, that's so tough. I, really, that's not my personality. I don't like to do that. It makes me feel funny when I do that. I get, I get butterflies in my stomach. God doesn't care about your butterflies in your stomach. He cares about whether you're in or you're out. And if you're in, the butterflies in your stomach, that's the stupid part of you that doesn't realize how awesome it is to be in. Part of you that doesn't want to give up the money or give up your time. That's the stupid part of you that doesn't realize how awesome it is to be in. Wait for it. The part of you that throws a fit when things are going wrong, you get mad or angry or frustrated, that's the part of you that doesn't realize how awesome it is to be in. It's that awesome to be in. That no matter what that we go through in this life, as long as we count it as for him, it's awesome. That's why James would write, count it pure joy when you face all manner of trials and tribulations. Did Jesus face trials and tribulations? I mean, he's the son of God in the flesh. Did he face trials and tribulations? He was whipped within an inch of his life and then hung to take the rest of it. Did he face trials and tribulations? Have you faced anything like he ever faced? He went 40 days without food, which most of us could not even physically do. We weren't sustained by a miracle of God. We couldn't go 40 days without food. We would die before that. But he went 40 days without food, at the end of which the enemy came and said to him, You hungry? Here, make, turn these rocks into bread. Was that within his power to do so? Absolutely, he could turn rocks into bread. And he said, No, so I won't do it. Man lives not by bread alone. But by every word who proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What is he saying? He's saying, listen to me. I know you think it's better to be on your side of the fence. I know you think it's better to be free willed away from God. I know you hate God. You're angry at God. You want to bring down any prophet or any person who stand up for God. I know you want them all to go your way. And you'd like to see man, who is God's crowning achievement of creation, come over to your way of thinking. And that you've won many before me, but you'll not win me because I live in the kingdom of God. Yes, I have the power to turn stones into bread because I am God in the flesh. And I don't know that Satan knew that at that time. And Jesus didn't say that. He just simply said, no. It is better to understand this, that man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that's it. And that is the definition of what it means to be a person in the kingdom of God. To understand that you answer to God. You are owned by God. You are for God. You walk by the strength of God. You do things in the creativity that God has given you. Your free will is a gift from God if you have it. And if you don't have God, you don't have it. Jesus is the way. He's not a guardian to the way. He's not at the door. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He's not like like standing here, right here on this little spot, and saying, hey, you, you can't get in unless you say 17 Hail Marys. Or you can't get in and get in unless your offerings are big enough. Like a little guardsman there, standing there with a sword and a shield, saying, no way, you can't get in. No, that's not our Jesus. Our Jesus is the guy who died on the cross. Saying, everybody come. Everybody come. Come on. Is he inclusive? Yes. But to be inclusive will always be to be exclusive. There is this which defines us. That we are a follower of the Lord God through his son Jesus Christ. And if you are that, you are saved. And if you are saved, then act like it. Start saying no to the things that don't belong in the kingdom of God. Start putting your foot down as if God were putting his foot down to exercise his authority in your life. He is the way, not a guardian to keep people out. 
People are kept at bay from the kingdom of God by their unwillingness to repent. They see the fence is electrified. They know they don't want to go there. They want what they want, and they don't want to cross the line, and they don't want anybody to look at them, and they want anybody to think about them. They want to get away with whatever they want to get away with. And as long as I can get away with that, I'm fine. But you're not fine. If you're outside the kingdom of God, you're not fine. Oh, you're different, but you're not any different than anybody that's outside the kingdom of God because you're united in this choice out there. While you are a unique personality out there, you are the same as everybody else that does not choose God. In here, when we choose God, we are even more unique because then the Holy Spirit looks at us and says, hey, there's a unique creation of God and the kingdom of God. I give them exactly what gift they need. To build up the kingdom. I'm going to read one last passage of scripture and then I'll be through. 65, I said 66, it's 65, I apologize. Okay? And it says this, beginning in verse 24, he says, I will also come, I'm sorry, it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. That's how you get in the kingdom of God. God has already answered you before you call. Say, Lord, save me. He's already said yes. So if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're distracted by something else, if you're pulled away, by what you think is your free will, which is actually it's submitted to Satan, whatever. If that's what's happening to you, you say, God, save me through your son, Jesus Christ. And he has already answered. He will save you. It says, it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. He answered 2,000 years ago. He settled the matter on the cross. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Verse 25 says this. Listen, it says, the wolf and the lamb, the wolf, that's the predator, and the lamb, that's the prey shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. You know why the lion will eat straw, and the wolf and the lamb can graze together? Because God is going to put even death to an end. He's essentially already done it on the cross, but once and for all, there will be no more death. The wages of sin is death, and it will be done. If he puts death to an end, it will be because he's taken care of sin. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust, wait for it, shall be the serpent's food. The dust shall be the serpent's food. And the wolf and the lion and the serpent, he says, they shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. This is how it will be settled. The serpent will eat dust for food. Now, what do you think is happening there? That means the demons here and Satan himself, they will have dust for food. And if you choose to be out here, outside the line, outside God's people, then you too will have dust for food. I don't know what that's going to be like, but it doesn't sound good. But this I do know, all of us that are inside the line, not a line that God draws to try to keep people out. The way is Jesus. People who will not accept Jesus, people who will not believe in God through Jesus Christ, his son, will be outside that line, and those people will eat dust with the serpent. But those who are inside the line will be safe. That's what it says. It says, they, meaning the lion, the wolf, the serpent, all all images used to represent demons, evil spirits, and Satan. They shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. It's settled. The only question is, are you settled? Am I settled? Are we willing to decide that we are a holy and different people? When someone moves the barrier, the problems are someone owns the property on which the barrier is built. Listen to me. God owns it all. But those who are outside the enemy, they're convinced that that fence gives them some value. That fence practically protects them from what God is trying to do, that kind of thing. And it just isn't so. When the fence was moved, 
people got confused. Notice that there were people that were worshiping God, and they were on the outside of that. They're not in the kingdom of God. They were Levites and Israelites and priests. And there have been pastors and deacons and Sunday school teachers who wound up outside and will not see the kingdom of God on this earth or in heaven. Also notice that those who are on the outside can only see the straddlers, the hypocrites, those who are not really living. And so understand that if you are not living for the Lord, but you're claiming to be in the kingdom of God, you're doing a lot of damage. Because there's a lot of people that are looking at you, thinking you're a Christian, and you're leading them in the wrong way to be like you instead of being like Jesus, and you're not being like Jesus. Get off the fence. Because nobody on the fence winds up in the kingdom. They all wind up outside. And if you're here in this room and you're following somebody who professes to be a Christian, but you know that they're not living like a Christian, then you decide who you are in Christ. You decide to follow Jesus with all that you are, not follow your friend, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your mom or your dad. There are no grandchildren of God. Every time anyone enters the kingdom, it is God asking them, will you come to me through my son Jesus? And if you will come, then you say, please Jesus, and know that he has already answered you. He has already paid. Whether I make it in or not, you want to make it in. And you will make it in by Jesus or not at all. The fence was a lie. The whole purpose of the Israelites was to bring the rest of the world close to God. So they would be different. So people would look at them and go, hey, they're different. And God acted on their behalf and did amazing things. And then people would want to come and become like the Israelites and close to God. That was the whole purpose. And they didn't do it. And then God erased the fence and said, it's not about being an Israelite. It's about this decision, about what you'll do with my son, Jesus Christ. What is the work of the Father? To believe in the one whom he has sent. Will you believe in Jesus and what Jesus has done? And now the church is here. And in some cases, the church is not doing what the church is supposed to be doing. And there will be people, God forbid, but there may be people sitting in this room right now who will be in hell for an eternity because they refuse to follow Jesus with all that they are. The fence is a lie. You just have to decide. Do you believe in God through Jesus Christ, his son? Do you believe in what God has done through Jesus? Will you be saved? And will you follow him with all that you are? I'm not talking about following him with your strength. That would be good. Or following him with your intellect. You may be smart. That would be good. I'm talking about following him with all that you are and let him be Lord of your life. And that's what it takes to be saved. No one else's standard but the Bible and God himself. We're going to have a hymn of invitation at this time, meaning as we sing this song, you're going to have the opportunity to let it be known what you're deciding today in response to God. God, you have to decide, are you willing to cross the line by the way that Jesus is made, by the way that Jesus is. And if you are, then as we sing, you will respond. And public tell it, but look, I'm living for Jesus from this moment on. Whatever I said before, whoever I thought I was, I'm letting all that go, and I'm living for Jesus from this moment on. And I know some of us in this room have a long time to live yet, or we think we do. If you're a follower of Jesus, you get a lot longer than that. A hundred years of misery and suffering, God forbid, would still be worth it for an eternity in heaven for God. But that's not what you get. Jesus came and you have life and life more abundantly. And even if you're in trouble, have great joy. That's what you get.
asking you, would you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then live for him for the rest of your days? And yes, you will be asked to be different. So will you be different? Are you afraid to be different? Don't be. Because there's a lot of faith. Let yourself be different as a follower of Jesus. If you stand with me and sing this song, and if the Lord is speaking to your heart, then you respond. This is Pastor Daniel Stevenson of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo, and you've been listening to our podcast from October 16th. But anyway, you've been listening to our podcast from October 16th. We sure do appreciate you joining us. If the Lord might be leading you to become a member of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church, even though there may be some glaringly obvious barrier to keep you from doing that, perhaps you live in another state far away or... Um, Whatever it might be, financially you have a barrier, transportation you have a barrier, whatever. You should be aware that God has moved in our hearts to set up a program called Non-Resident Membership. And basically, if you can testify saying that you believe that God is expecting you to be a member of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church, then regardless of where you may live, you may apply to be a non-resident member. Regardless of what your financial situation might be, or you could be in jail listening to this podcast, or whatever, whatever it might be. If God is calling you to be a member of this church, then we want to open the way for that to be possible. And uh, we believe that there are people out there that are like that. So, go to our website on the membership page. This is what does it take to be a member of New Heights. And look at the non-resident member requirements if you're sure that there are things standing in the way for you coming to become an active member in the church. And then we'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. So... God bless you as you search out the church home in which you belong, and I pray that uh, there is one near you geographically that you'll easily be able to participate with and that God will get all the glory of your joining together in that community. And in the meantime, if the Lord is leading you to become a member of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church, regardless of whatever barriers may exist, you must be a professing Christian. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do that now. Uh, and then whatever barriers may exist between where you're at now and becoming a member of the church, those can be dealt with. And we can pray that God miraculously will work it out. And we know that he is that kind of God. Thank you so much. Reach out to us uh, via communication on our website or in our app if you need other services of New Heights that we are able to provide. And uh, we will be praying for all the listeners all the time. And you pray for us as we continue to serve the Lord and reach New Heights in Jesus. Thanks and God bless.